Hi, I'm Bruce Bartow, the chaplain here at Kim Ray, and we are doing a series that I have called Foundations, and today we're going to look at another uh, lesson in that series, so let's jump in. All right, as promised, this week we're going to look more at the Holy Spirit and who He is and the profound truths about Him that will help us day in and day out. You know, we've been looking at some new things that we've gotten. We have a new nature. We have a new nurture. God is doing something. He's helping us grow up. He's helping us learn how to recognize the flesh and lay that aside and see the Spirit and walk with Him by faith. Well, today we're going to talk about new resources. <clears throat> what does that really mean that we have new resources as a child of God? And from the standpoint of understanding, I believe most of us felt like, I know I did, that God gave me the Bible and all those laws in the Old Testament, especially the Ten Commandments, and somehow or other I'm supposed to learn those and remember them and obey them and walk that out. But we looked at it a couple weeks ago how that's a ministry of death etched in stone, the Bible says. That the, that the law was not given to make us righteous. It was given like a bright light in a dark room to reveal the unrighteousness that was there that we couldn't see otherwise. <clears throat> so the new covenant through Jesus Christ is a much superior covenant to the old one. That's why it talked about in uh, Hebrews in different places how when the new covenant comes, it's, it's because the old one was ineffective. Ineffective for what? Well, in finishing what God had in mind when he said, let us make man in our image. It wasn't the cause of the result that he was looking for. And he never intended it to be. That was our assumption as humanity. Well, he gave us these rules to live up to in order to uh, get us to live right so that we'd be acceptable to him. You know, the Bible tells us that our righteousness is like filthy rags, and so we can never actually follow a set of rules good enough to make ourselves acceptable to God. That's why it says, by works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. So was there something wrong with the law? No, it's good and righteous and holy. It's perfect. It was given by God. There's not a thing wrong with it, but it was given for a reason. You know, if you went into an, into a, uh, an operating room, the doctor's there, they turn these really bright lights on so they can see what they're doing. Well, if they turn the bright lights on, does that cure the problem that the patient has laying there on the table? No, it just reveals the problem that the patient has laying there on the table. Uh, the surgeon needs to do his work, and that's God is our surgeon. He's the one that had to remove the old nature that was corrupt and dead and put in a new nature, almost like what it would be like a heart transplant. Take out the corrupt heart, the Bible says, and put in a new one. He said, I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, it says in, in Ezekiel chapter 36. And so it was a, literally a heart transplant. We have a new heart, a new spirit. We are a new being, a new creature in Christ. And that's why it's a far superior uh, what the old law could not do, Jesus did. Such an amazing truth. 
So let's look at John 16, verse 7 through 11. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. All right, what is, why am I bringing that passage up? Well, if you hadn't realized the very first part of that, the profound statement Jesus made to his disciples. You know, they were devastated when he, when he was crucified. The idea that he was gone ruined their world. But he had already told them the night before, it's to your advantage that I go away. What he told them was, I'm leaving, but that's a good thing because I'm sending the Spirit. So what he said is that it's better to have the Spirit in you than it would be to have Jesus standing beside you. Now, I have to admit that there's times I felt like if he, if he was just here, if I could hear him with these ears, you know, not the ears of the Spirit, if I could watch what he's doing, you know, interact, ask him, well, I actually have access to all of those things in the spiritual realm, but what's even better is he's not outside me, he's inside me. Well, like we talked about last week, the two have become one. We are now joined. That passage in John 17, I asked that they would be one even as we are one. So we are joined to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by his indwelling presence. And we are as one with them as they are with each other, according to what Jesus said. That's why it's to, to our advantage that Jesus is not here, but the Spirit is. Rather than being here in physical form, he lives in each one of his children. And what's he going to do? We're going to convict. That's not like convict someone of a crime. It's like having a conviction. It's, it's, it's developing a strong belief about something. It's, it's realizing something is true. You know, I have a conviction that I need to sleep about eight hours every night. I've learned to believe that that's true. Okay? Sometimes I don't do it. Sometimes I sleep a little more. But... It's a belief that I now hold to be true. Well, he wants to convince us, really is a good word there, of certain things. He wants to convince us of sin. Why? Well, the world needs to know what sin is. And sin is unbelief. We talked about that last week. It's not the acts. There's, there are sinful acts that we do as a result of unbelief. But the real sin is not trusting God. You know, the Bible says that... Uh, he that believes in me is not condemned, Jesus said. But he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the only begotten of God. Okay, so what is the problem? It's about trust. It's about faith. So he wants to show the world what sin is. Why? To make them feel bad? No. So they'll realize they need a Savior. And salvation is free and it's offered to everyone. He also says he's going to convince the world or convict the world of righteousness and judgment. Well, what is righteousness? It's what God intended for us as a way of living so that the way we live is an extension of our character. 
a godly character. Well, we don't know what that is, except when we see it in Jesus Christ. Well, when Jesus leaves, he said the Spirit's going to help you understand what righteousness actually is. It's not doing outwardly righteous-looking things. You know, Jesus confronted a lot of people in his day, the scribes and the Pharisees, and he called them hypocrites, because they, they were whitewashed tombs, he said. They looked good on the outside, but they were full of dead men's bones. That they, they did all this religious-looking stuff, but they were robbing widows. Uh, they were not righteous, although they, they appeared righteous on the outside. That's why he told everyone, your righteousness has to be greater than that of the Pharisees. Well, everybody thought, well, they're the most righteous people on earth. We're doomed. Well, yeah, we needed to know that our righteousness has to exceed that which any human can do. And so what does he do? He gives us the gift of righteousness by faith. Philippians 3 says, where Paul said, I gave up everything that I thought made me righteous in order to have the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. It's a gift. And judgment, because the ruler of this world is cast out. You know, there's a lot about this world that we look at at times and think, well, that's good, and this is good, and that's good. But the devil's a liar and the father of all lies, and he's the, the God of this world. And his good-looking lies are just as deadly as his bad-looking lies. Uh, Self-righteousness, which is a good-looking lie, did not save the Pharisees. It won't save us. And so he wants us to understand that judgment is not based on outward activity. It's based on an inward relationship. Again, I mentioned last week, and I'll mention it again. At the judgment, some are going to say, but Lord, look at all this great stuff we did for you. We healed the sick and cast out demons, did many miracles. He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Well, it wasn't their actions that were iniquity. It was their heart. They didn't have this faith relationship with God where they knew him and he knew them. Uh, depart from me, I never knew you, are the words you'd never want to hear in all eternity. So I'm going to go back now to uh, a slide that I showed you a few weeks ago where it looks at man at the point of creation and what happened to him at separation and what happens when he's restored uh, to a relationship with God. And you see in this slide that when God created man, there was this fellowship with God that was unbroken. But then due to sin, we call that the fall of man, man was separated from God and fellowship with God, the ability to relate to him and talk with him and be intimate with him was broken. But when a person is saved, when they experience salvation, and that Holy Spirit then connects them to God, not externally, but internally. That's the superiority of the new covenant. God has moved inside. He's brought all of his resources with him, which is what we're talking about this week. The resources, and we can't cover them all because they're infinite, but we're going to talk about the source of those resources, which is God himself living in us. You know, as a joint heir, we have all the resources we will ever need. How could I say that? Because I look around sometimes, even at my own life, and I think, man, I'm short over here, and I'm, I'm lacking over there, and one thing and another. But when God moved in, he moved in 
completely. He's not coming into me on the, on the uh, installment plan, you know, a little bit at a time. He brought all of himself with him. And he is the author and the finisher of faith. He is the creator of all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He, he created the whole deal. And he is still powerful and creative. So if I need wisdom, the wise one lives in me. If I need strength, the strong one lives in me. If I need compassion, the compassionate one lives in me. That's why the fruit of the Spirit are, deter, are de described in relational terms. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things that really help relationships. Because in a relationship with Him, as we grow, we're able to relate to others in the way that those relationships reflect what God had in mind when he created us. In Romans 8, 14 through 17, it says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons or children. We cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be glorified with him. And that suffering is that of being crucified with him, buried with him, and raised with him. And that's when he gave us the glory that God had given him. All right, so the Holy Spirit living in us keeps reminding us that we're God's child. Well, as God's child, I have God's nature and character. So as I learn to know my father, he helps me learn how to express the nature I received from him at new birth. Just like I received certain natural um, things from my mom and dad when I was born here on planet Earth, not just looks, but talents and maybe interest in life and so forth. We pick up things from our mom and dad just through the birth process. Uh, physically, and maybe even as we grow with them, we pick up thoughts and emotions and all that kind of stuff. Well, in our new birth, we're beginning to pick up things from our dad, our new father, our Abba. Some of it was by birth. He gave us his holiness and righteousness. He gave us a new nature. But some of it, through that new nurture we talked about, we're learning to live out that new nature in a way that shows the world who God is and that is how if you want to know what the definition of glorifying God is is letting God live in and through us in such a way that God is revealed to the world around us that's the way we glorify God that is the most effective all right so with the Holy Spirit is our resource what did we get well it says I mentioned this I think last week in John 16 when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own initiative. Whatever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. For all things the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Now, what does all that mean? Well, as a joint heir with Jesus Christ, God took everything he had and gave it to Jesus. And now it's, it, that is yours too, because whatever he gave the Son, he gives to all of his children. We're joint heirs with him. 
And the Holy Spirit is disclosing, he is revealing to us the things that we received. You know, I have a bunch of stuff at my house. I used to do carpenter work for a living. I've got table saws and joiners and routers and skill saws and drill press and planers and a wood lathe. I got all kinds of stuff. Okay, if I passed away when I was when my children were little and I left it to them, it would be theirs, but they wouldn't have a clue how to use it. Someone would have to show them how to use what was their own. Teach them how to how to express that. You know, I've got hunting and fishing equipment. If they didn't know how to use that, then somebody would need to show them how to do that. Well, as an heir with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit's job is to teach us what is ours and what to do with it. How do you use this thing called wisdom? How do you use this thing called self-control, a fruit of the Spirit? What do you do with that? How, how, what about truth? You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I've been beat to death with truth, and sometimes I've been encouraged with truth, all in the way the delivery person was unpacking it for me. Might have been the same truth, but some were more skilled at delivering truth than others. Okay, and I'm more willing to receive that which is delivered compassionately than cruelly. All right, so let's look at Galatians chapter 5 real quick. And it's a little lengthy passage here, but I think it'll be good for us to walk through it. I'll read it first. Galatians 5, 16 to 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets itself against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, uh, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. That's not even an exhaustive list. Of which I forewarned you, just as I forewarned you, have forewarned you, that those who practice such, these things, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. All right, so let's go back to that last slide from last week where we see the two different ways of living the old way developed in Adam when we were part of that timeline, then we have a new way we're developing as a child of God. And the flesh and the spirit are against one another. The flesh is always saying, do it my way. This will work for you the best. Remember that time when, when you didn't and it didn't work out for you. Remember that time when you used this old pattern and it seemed to give you joy and pleasure. But the spirit is saying something different that what feels good and what feels bad doesn't necessarily tell us what is good or is bad. You know, the worst any human probably has ever felt on planet Earth was what Jesus felt going to the cross and being crucified. So that's the worst he could have ever felt, but it was the best he could have ever done. You know, so 
if you look at things in life, some of the worst things that happen to us aren't the worst things that happen to us. They may be some of the best things that happen for us and the people around us. It just didn't feel good. So what feels good and what feels bad is a crummy way to try to figure out what is good and is bad. Because sometimes we get joy out of hurting other people. Well, that's bad. But sometimes it feels bad to help other people. Well, that's good. Not, that, not the good to feel bad, but it's good to do good and help others. So using our feelings and pain and pleasure to try to figure out what's right and wrong is a terrible way to live. But that was the very thing Satan started with in the Garden of Eden at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as a result, he was able to drag all of mankind through the garbage dump that we've created here on planet Earth of the world system that he rules over. But Jesus invites us out of that. And not just to try to figure out how to do things better, but into a relationship with him. One where we're bonded with him per permanently. And now that he lives inside of us, he's there to guide us and teach us the truth about things in front of us. Things about our own feelings, about our own thoughts, about what is necessary in this moment. So that as we learn from him and trust him, we will walk that out by faith. And what people see then is what God intended when he said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. Now, I don't know if you feel like I'm just keep running around the same bush over and over again, but I'm convinced that the Christian life is profoundly simple. In 2 Corinthians 11:3, it says this, I'm concerned, Paul told the church at Corinth, that as the serpent deceived Eve, that that your minds are being led astray from the simplicity and purity of your devotion to Christ. So this whole thing of walking with God is to be pure and simple. But we complicate it with so many things that really is just the world system creeping into our relationship with God. Now we're trying to keep the law and please this person and that person and try to figure out what feels good and avoid what feels bad and all those kind of things rather than just walking by faith with the one who created us and loves us so much that he gave his life for us to prove the profound depth of his love for us. And in that relationship of trust, walking by faith, we walk by faith and not by sight, the Bible says. Sight tells us what the flesh wants to do. Faith tells us what God wants to do. And that's the way we're designed to live by God from the very beginning. We were always designed to live our lives rooted in faith in the one who created us and loves us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that this really is simple. Help us to see it. Help us to avoid the complicated nature of the world that's contaminated with lies from the devil and go with the purity and simplicity of our devotion, our love relationship with you because of your love relationship with us. I'm just always blown away by the verse where it says, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. The Father himself has fond affection for you because you have fond affection for me. It's a loving relationship you've invited us into as a husband and a wife, as a parent with his children, one of faith and trust, 
where we serve one another, doing what is best for the other, just as you did what was best for us. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.